You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade, and today I'm joined by one of the original members of the show, John Kegley, to get into what went right and what went wrong and some mid-season awards today. But first, this episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Before we get started, we are two writers who got our start at San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog, and I also write for the LA Football Network, and we've been covering the Chargers for over five seasons, doing our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live, which airs weekly, and now this is our third season as the host of the Lockdown Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. Well, thank you to all of our new listeners checking us out today for the first time, and a special thank you to all of our loyal listeners coming back to check with us again, because today is going to be a super-packed show for you, because we're going to start with the news of Anthony Lynn discussing whether star rookie linebacker Kenneth Murray got benched, as well as giving some updates on some injuries for guys like Joey Bosehead, Troy Main Pope, and Austin Eckler. But then we're going to get into what we do every week with what went right and what went wrong from the Chargers game on Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think there were some positive silver linings there, but obviously some major things that went wrong, like special teams, for example. But we also get into, at the end of the show, our midseason awards. Now that we're eight games through the season, we'll talk about the Chargers MVP so far. Well, you probably know who that's going to be, but we also get into the offensive and defensive players of the year, as well as the coach of the year, before getting into what we think the Chargers will do in their next quarter of the season over the next four games. But let's go ahead and get into it. On Monday, Los Angeles Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn opened up about whether star rookie linebacker Kenneth Murray got benched and also gave some updates on some key player injuries. This is Daniel Wade with your Locked On Chargers lead story. Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn spoke with the media on Monday, and one of the first things that was brought up to him was the fact that Kenneth Murray, the Chargers' first-round pick at linebacker, was missing in several series of the game, even though he was not hurt. And what Anthony Lynn had to say about him being benched was, no, he got sidelined for a little while. You know, sometimes with Kenneth, you look at him, you look at his skill set, and you see all that he can do, and you wonder if you put a little bit too much on his plate. There was just some communication issues yesterday in calling the defense, so we put a veteran in there to get everyone lined up in the right places, and I think Denzel did a good job. After watching the tape from this last game again, I did see that early on in the game, Kenneth Murray was definitely struggling to make a big impact either in the running game or in coverage, even had a blitz that didn't go well for him, but it seemed like Kenneth Murray got benched for Denzel Perryman on Sunday, and the Chargers, especially early on, were getting shredded in the running game, and at least part of that was due to Kenneth Murray either potentially not getting guys lined up in the right position or just being not being able to get to the ball and make a play on it before the play was you know four or five yards down the field. But 
for rookie linebackers. That is a especially tough position to be in, to go into an NFL team. And not only are you starting right off the bat, but you're also calling the plays of the defense. So it's not just your responsibility on that play that you have to be aware of, but every single man on the defense and getting them lined up and making sure everybody is going to be going into the right gap. So with Kenneth Murray, we haven't necessarily seen all of the explosiveness that we saw from him in college, being able to get sacks, being able to get tackles for loss behind the line of scrimmage, and making impact plays. He has struggled in coverage so far this year, and when he's reading the run and making an impact in the running game, it just seems like he's still a little bit behind, and I think the more comfortable he gets, he will be able to be more explosive and be able to make much bigger impact for this Chargers defense that really needs an impact player at the linebacker position. So I think better is to come from Kenneth Murray, but Anthony Lynn also did talk about some injuries to some of the key players the Chargers had going into the game and also some players that got banged up during the game. And one of the guys he talked about, that had to exit the game at the last second was Mike Williams, who ended up getting her on a play at the very end of the game where it looked like he had caught the game-winning touchdown, only to drop it on the way down, and he was shaken up after the play. But Anthony Lynn did say he was fine, and that is just another weapon the Chargers are going to need against a very talented Miami Dolphins defense this weekend. But another player that he talked about was Joey Bosa, who had to miss this last game against the Raiders due to a concussion. And when asked if there was any updates on Joey Bosa, he said that that his situation has not changed at this point. And he ended up saying the same thing about running back Troy Main Pope. But Joey Bosa is the Chargers' leading sack, has the most sacks on the team through seven games, through eight games so far this season. And and when he is not out there, it is very apparent that the Chargers are lacking in that department. The pass rush isn't as good. As you saw in the last game, the run defense isn't as good without Joey Bosa. And for him and for Troy Main Pope, I think it's hard to really put a timetable on how long it's going to take them to recover from a concussion. It's one of those things that you kind of just have to play by ear, see if they can keep going through the tests and passing them, and making sure they are fully right before they get back out there. Because obviously, Head injuries are very scary, and I think especially with Joey Bosa, one of the premier edge rushers in the league, they're going to take their time. But that wasn't the only update we got because he also talked about Justin Jackson, and that one was a little bit weird because he said that Jackson unexpectedly, someone fell into his knee yesterday. He put a brace on and came back. I believe he could have played if we needed him to, but we will see how he looks at practice this weekend. One of the things that did lead to was Kalen Balaj getting much more of a run than we thought he would getting elevated from the practice squad. He was very impressive. He was running hard. He was decisive. We already know he catches the ball well, and I expect him to be a big part of the Chargers offense, especially with the uncertainty of Austin Eckler and Troy Main Pope. The last couple of guys that he talked about are guys who have been out for a little while, Austin Eckler and Chris Harris Jr. For Chris Harris Jr., he ended up saying that if he could get out there, it would be great, but as of right now, I wouldn't count on it. And for Austin Eckler, he said he's doing good and he's on schedule rehab-wise, and when he's healthy, he'll be back, but I'm not going to put a timetable on it. These are two more very important pieces to this Chargers team that have missed 
a long time and have been on injured reserve. And it is still impressive that the Chargers have been able to even be in some of these games without the talented players that they're missing. But right now, it looks like another week without their most explosive playmaker, Austin Eckler, who is so multi-talented and can help you so much offensively. And Chris Harris Jr., when you're already banged up in the secondary, it would be great to have an all-pro player out there. But it looks like the Chargers are going now to wait for those guys at least until next week and not this game coming up against the Miami Dolphins. But we do have two more segments to get into. we got to get into our what went right and what went wrong next before wrapping the show up with some mid-season awards. But first, I need to tell you guys that this episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. For me, when I'm watching the Chargers game, I either wonder how they're going to fail to come back from the game or figure out a way to blow the lead at the very end. But a few plays happening on the last play of the game always makes it better to have Pepsi, which is the refreshment that you need to get through great to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. This episode is also brought to you by Tasers. Yes, I am talking about actual Tasers. For me, protecting my family is my number one priority, but I want to do it safely. The people at Taser believe it's never been safer for self-defense, and this is going to be the best self-defense you're going to get because Taser's line of non-lethal self-protection devices are small and lightweight, enough to carry with you or in your glove compartment or in your purse. If you're looking for someone that you think could need protection or you need it for yourself, if you're walking home in the dark or you just don't want to have guns in your house, you can get a Taser from you can get a taser from Axon Tasers. They use an electrical charge to immobilize attackers for up to 30 seconds, allowing you time to escape, and it sends an emergency dispatch to your GPS location. So if you have to discharge your taser, it alerts the authorities that you are in some trouble, and they are going to be sent right to where you are with GPS location. These are the best things. You can either get the stun gun which is actually a stun gun flashlight hybrid, or you can get the Taser Pulse Plus, which is something that you can shoot at an attacker, whether it's somebody breaking into your house or if you're on a hike and you have to dispel a mountain lion. Either way, Axon Taser is what you need, and right now it's available without a permit in most of U.S. states. You can get the Taser Pulse Plus or the Taser Strike Light at taser.com with the promo code NFL. Save 15% right now. They don't do a lot of deals. Just go to taser.com, promo code NFL, and spell T-A-S-E-R.com, promo code NFL. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, guys. Well, now it's time to get into what went right and what went wrong against the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. And we're going to start, of course, as we always do, with what went wrong, get into how the Chargers ended up losing this game. And some difficult trends that continue to keep happening for the Chargers, you know, especially special teams, blowing games, and stuff like that. But, of course, we always have to start with our expert and all things wrong, John Kegley, back with us today to talk about this. So, John, what are you starting with as far as what went wrong for the Chargers in another heartbreaking game? How about special teams? <laughs> Missed field goal, off punt, not good, the greatest kickoff coverage. I feel like that's where you got to start in this game. That game... I think that's cost you that this game, basically. That missed field goal could have made a difference in the end. Wouldn't have to go for a touchdown. The muff punt would have to go for a touchdown. You would only have to go for a field goal. I think those set you up for failure in this game. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the special teams was one thing I definitely highlighted as far as what went wrong. Specifically, the 48-yard missed field goal. You have the muffed punt. That's another three points after the defense got a stop. And then the two punt returns, 12 and a half yards on average. And then you allowed a kickoff return of 44 and of 32, both neither of which are good. So the special teams continuing to play a big factor for the Chargers and literally just taking points off the board. And when you're not a great team, you just can't afford to drop those points there. But I would go to the next place where things went wrong on Sunday and talk about a specific player because it was a very tough day for Casey Hayward Jr. He gets beat on a 45-yard touchdown to Nelson Aguilar. He also gets beat on a Hunter Renfro 53-yard pass. And I know, John, that we might be expecting, you know, prime Casey Hayward a little bit too much too much of the time. But I do think that this year it's we're seeing him get beat deep a lot, which is just not something we've seen a ton in the past. But this year it's something that teams are targeting. They're going after that match of trying to beat Casey Hayward over the top. And again, in this game, I mean, over half of Derek Carr's passing yards just come on those two throws right there. And it is just weird seeing him get beat deep consistently like he has this season. Yeah, it, it is kind of weird. It's kind of surprising that the guy that you expect to be one of the top corners in the league, and at one point he was, has literally dropped to being a slightly above average corner, if that now. I'm kind of wondering, like, is age catching up? Is it just the pandemic because of no training camp or something? Is he just behind the eight ball a little bit? What is his issue? But it's whatever it is, he needs to figure it out because we were expecting Michael Davis to have these kind of issues. And I think, I don't know if you agree, but I think Michael Davis might be outplaying Casey Hayward a little bit here this season. And that's a big boom. What do you think? I mean, I think he has outplayed Casey Hayward so far this year. I mean, you've seen a couple of lapses, a deep play to DJ Moore against the Panthers. He ended up getting beat a couple of weeks ago, too, on a deep play. But he's tackling a lot better. And I think that's what would separate him right now, which is crazy. I mean, we're talking about Michael Davis tackling. But ever since that game against the Tampa Bay Bucks, when he kind of let the running back just easily get in, you could tell he was ripped after that game. But ever since then, you said his mentality, his effort, and like whether it's a tackle this week against Jason Witten or even other run stop that he made in the game where he's just launching himself at Josh Jacobs or whoever it is. I mean, that's been the most impressive thing to me. And he's still been their you know best coverage guy on the outside. But the crazy thing is, is right now, especially missing Chris Harris Jr., there has crept into my mind Casey Hayward Jr. in the slot. Um, just somewhere where his speed won't be as necessary. I mean, I think you're still seeing him make some plays on shorter throws and things like that. But what would you think about that potentially? I know it sounds kind of like blasphemy, but with how it's been, I mean, he's not usually getting beat on short stuff. It's usually over the top. Well, I think that'd be a great move, personally. That's a good call. He's getting beat deep, so why not make him a guy who can cover all the short, quick passes? Slot corner would probably be a good fit for him, and it'd probably make a lot of help for the defensive line who's not making their presence felt on pass rush and they're allowing the quick throws in the middle. I think that'd be a, a great fit for him. And you could give, like, Kevin Campbell or someone a chance on the outside to see if they can prevent the deep ball from happening. But at the same time, is Casey Hayward going to be willing to play that? Is he going to want to move it over to slot? Or is he one of those right. guys that's like, nah, I'm the outside guy? Just like Chris Harris was like, I prefer the slot, but they've been trying me outside. Is that going to be the same thing, really? 
Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you would definitely like to get more athletic out there, and I think that will happen in the draft, hopefully, I mean, as we're seeing it right now. But I think right now for cornerbacks with diminishing athleticism, because I don't think it's his instincts or anything like that that he's getting beat on, right? I mean, I think it's just his athleticism has let him down. You think about the Buccaneers game getting beat over the top by Scotty Miller, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, lack of speed, lack of yeah, acceleration. Really. He's chasing guys. I mean, it is left, and I think that is a good way for you know older cornerbacks to kind of transition. It's just crazy from what we've seen from Casey Hayward that we're even talking about it. But in a vacuum, obviously, knowing they have Chris Harris Jr., I don't think that's a move that would be the worst thing for the Chargers or for Casey Hayward. I think you would end up looking better because of it but obviously the other thing in this game that went wrong is just the Chargers continuing continually lacking that finishing capability and I think it starts with a lot of things but I thought the time management at the end of the game was poor Um, I think there were some other things that kind of contributed to that as far as the referees not getting the measurement at first I mean not giving you the out of bounds when you know Mike Williams is coming down out of bounds on a tackle so I do think there was other things there but as far as what went wrong I mean defensively I mean two touchdowns are defensively we've already talked about you know the Chargers just getting out physical and and we came to the conclusion that the Chargers you know got out physical as we thought they would and it's just not a lot of fight Jerry Tillery would failed to get contained a couple of times and I really thought it was strange that Uchen Nuosi only got six percent of the snaps in that game, or six snaps in that game. I mean, especially missing Joey Bosa, John Quick. I mean, was that not surprising at all, just not seeing Uchenna Nuosu out there at all, given that he's maybe your second-best pass rusher at this point? It was really surprising. I was expecting Uchenna to get the start. I like, don't get me wrong, I like seeing Jerry Tillery as a defensive end. It was something we brought up earlier this year. Yeah. And getting his seat into action was nice. He played very well. But I think you got to split the snap 50-50 between Tillery and Nuosu, or maybe bring out Ingram a couple of plays to put Nuosu in. Like, you, you got to get Nuosu involved more. He's one of your flashiest, speediest pass rushers that you have, and he knows how to really get up the field and in, towards the quarterback. I think that he didn't really play much is a major error on the coaching staff. That's something that you got to fix. You got to learn to use all your players that have a meaningful talent. And what that basically means is if there's somebody who can get to the quarterback fast and say that's the only thing he can do, and you know the Raiders are probably going to be passing on a third down, you get that guy in there. You get Nuoso in there and you go after it. If it's someone that can, let's say, only stops the run really well, first and second down, you got to get that guy in there. So with Nuoso, if it was a definite passing down, you had to get him in there. Or if you want to just make a bang on the very first play of the drive, you put him in there. But you didn't do that. You just took Tillery and you said, let's just try our first round draft pick. I didn't like that. All right, well, let's get into what went right in this game, too, because I think there were some things that did go right for the Chargers. But the first thing I would say is just Justin Herbert having his first game without an interceptable pass. Because even in the game that he didn't have an interception going into this one, it was against the New Orleans Saints and it was a... Malcolm Jenkins throw on the sideline that probably should have been intercepted but I mean after watching this game again John obviously he played well and should have had four touchdowns really on the day ends up with two of them and the you know completion percentage goes down a lot when those fades don't convert and stuff like that as well but I just thought that him going an entire game without really ever putting the ball in danger was something I was pretty impressed by. 
Yeah, that was actually a very enlightening thing. Every single game, there's always that one ball where you're just like, okay, he, he did a bad throw, or okay, that looked like a bad throw, should have been picked, we got away with it. But this game, he was pretty well, he was pretty good at making decisions where he's going to throw the ball. And he placed a lot of balls really well, too. I mean, besides that, what, maybe the deep ball to Jalen Guyton that was like half a yard out of his reach, almost every yeah. single ball was right on the money. He he played very well. There was some balls he had to like throw away or throw at someone's feet. I mean, even being a guy in his face on that screen pass that gave neighbors, he did like a Kobe Bryant fadeaway. <laughs> I don't like, know how he got hooking shot to game neighbors. <laughs> and it somehow times. drops in. I don't know how that happened. I was even running around my apartment just like that play should have never happened. What is going on here? <laughs> he was his throws just somehow kept finding the mark. The fact that Mike Williams and Donald Parham didn't catch those ones at the end are beyond me, but those were greatly thrown balls. Yeah. Herbert was on another level in this game in my mind. He was, and I think one thing that really went along with that too was some of the creative play calling that we've been looking for. Uh, that Gabe Neighbors play is obviously one that I liked a lot. Uh, and then even, you know, me and you have obviously talked about, but the short yardage plays, the Joe Reed play, I mean, I like that play because you didn't try to go up the middle. Um, you know, there's the jet sweep, Joe Reed play to the left side. It gets cut off. Maybe if he does a little bubble route right there, it works a little bit better because he can get past that edge defender. And then you can get him in some space, but also just, you know, having Joe Reed in the backfield for just a straight up toss, like just using him as a straight up running back. I liked the toss play to get the touchdown, even the Keenan Allen play, you get everybody on the backside going the other way and Keenan Allen's coming across the formation and finds himself all alone. Uh, I thought there were some serious points in this game, even though at the end, you you know, we'll get into the red, or we, the red zone efficiency wasn't great. One out of three on the last three drives the Chargers had, but those plays, John, were creative and they paid big dividends. And it's like, why do we not see more of this? But it's evolving and it's nice to see. Every single game, I think the play calling offensively has been improving. Even fourth and one, fourth and one's improving. It's amazing. That jet sweep was a great call. I think just one of the wide receivers just missed their block on the defensive end and that he just got in and shut it down. If, the, if you just get like a, even a chip block on a guy that plays, gets the first down. I think right. it was Mike that missed that block. But Reed is a running back. We begged for that and we got it and it were, there was success. Bringing Keenan Allen in to be the running back basically and having him run that Texas route, great play call. You're, you're putting guys in different positions. And that means Keenan doesn't get jammed off the line, too. So you have to, that's a free run. You have the best route run in the NFL without a jam. Give me that every single play of the week. Oh, but, 100%. But I, I want to point out that that last play of the game, how they were able to single up Parham with one corner, a 6'8 guy. I know there's other ways you could have gone, but I like how you set up a mismatch for the final play. Like If Parham just holds on to that ball, we're we're talking how good a play call that is. Parham sure. had that ball. He had it. He, he just hits the ground and it comes loose. Just just enough of an impact and a hand in there to knock it loose. But that was a good job of isolating your tallest, biggest guy with one corner for the last play of the game since Mike Williams couldn't be in there because it's being injured the final play. Yeah, I get it. I mean, especially just having a play like that where you know you're going to find yourself 
in single coverage and get that one-on-one opportunity. I mean, especially in a vacuum, I mean, that's just good play going to get that. I understand, you know, why people want Keenan Allen to get a target there. But at the same time, I mean, it's two drops. Either one of them were not even having the conversation. Both should have came down with the passes. But I'll just touch on last. The defense does deserve some credit, even though, I mean, Casey Hayward gets beat on this two plays coming out after halftime, and it really skews the second half stats. The muff punt ends up costing him three points as well at the end. And really, at the end of the game, they get a stop that should get the Chargers the ball back. And they, at that point, they would only have been down by two points. Instead, K.J. Hill ends up muffing the punt. The Chargers end up losing three points out of that swing. And then the, even before that, though, the the Chargers defense ended up forcing another punt. Two punts at the end of the game, they forced the Raiders. So I did think that was nice, and they deserve a shout-out on those plays but we do have to get into some mid-season awards we're going to get into who our mvp is so far this season um spoiler alert it's obvious but we're also going to you know wonder if there's any argument for offensive player of the year and defensive player of the year and also getting a coach of the year before getting into how we think the next four games are going to play out for the chargers coming up right after this but first i need to tell you guys that everybody in their day when you're working hard you come home and you can hit a wall wherever that wall is for you there's one way to get through it, and that is with built go from the creators of a built bar built go is like a five-hour energy drink without the same crash feeling whether it's a mental or physical wall you can break through it with go every day and they're easy to take in one and a half ounce packages it's like drinking a monster with a third of the caffeine and better results you can get them in three delicious flavors peanut butter honey chocolate coconut and chocolate mint my favorite is peanut butter anything. But right now we have a special offer for you guys. If you go to builtgo.com, you can use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at builtgo.com. All right, well, the Chargers are officially at the halfway point of their season games-wise because now the Chargers at 2-6 and six only have eight games left in the season already. I mean, it seems like it's absolutely flew by this Justin Herbert experience. Has been crazy. And speaking of which, I do want to start this off with the MVP before we get into, you know, some conversations about offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, coach of the year so far. But let's start with the MVP. And I mean, there's only one person to give it to. And that is obviously Justin Herbert, who you could probably make the argument has just been their best player overall, regardless of offense or defense, uh, regardless of position. I mean, he's just been that good so far, so far for the Chargers. So, John, I know obviously there's no real discussion here. There's only one person this could go to, and it had to be Justin Herbert. But even when you're not even stacking him up against rookies, I mean, he's third in passing yards per game game behind Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. His 17 touchdowns are tied for eighth with Big Ben and Drew Brees, and both of those guys have played one more game than him. Uh, He's ninth in passer rating. He's ninth in yards per attempt, and he's 14th in QBR overall. So, I think it's just whatever you look at, whatever history that you're seeing as far as, you know, most passing yards ever through the first seven games or second most touchdowns, whatever it is. I mean, he has checked off every box so far and the way he's done it has been super impressive. And for the Joe Burrow people out there, uh, just to go through it really quick, not petty at all. Joe Burrow is 22nd in overall QBR compared to 14th. Joe Burrow is 25th in yards per attempt. He's not getting as many yards every time he throws it as Justin Herbert is, which is a pretty decent measurement. And then in passer rating, Joe Burrow, 91.4, 25th in the NFL, Justin Herbert, 104.7. So he's exceeded every expectation, John, and there's no other person that this award could go to. Not even Sam Tebby? You, you sure? 
I mean, I like it's crazy that we went from Philip Rivers winning it every year, and now it seems like it's just going to be Justin Herbert picking up the mantle from every year, year on here, from every year for here on out. Yeah, every single time, Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers. Now Justin Herbert, and he's single-handedly keeping us in every single game. I mean, I think that's the deciding factor really for the MVP. Right. I mean, the stats are nice and all. I mean, he's setting like. Almost every single rookie passing yard record there is. What would the is. team be without him? <laughs> exactly. I mean, we barely won the game in Cincinnati with Tyrod. Now it's because our defense and a missed field goal. Now we're barely losing games because of our defense. And that's telling you that Herbert is keeping us in these games. Basically single-handedly scoring us 30 points a game. He's not getting any help from the defense. Not that many turnovers. That set him up for like a quick little 30-yard drive. He's go, taking the Chargers the length of the field most of the time and still getting close to 30 points a game and keeping us within reach of a Patrick Mahomes, a Drew Brees, a Tom Brady. Without him, those games are blowouts probably. So he definitely gets the MVP just for that alone. Yeah, I mean, he's gone toe-to-toe with you know good teams. The Saints, the Buccaneers, the Chiefs. I mean, even the Raiders are a pretty decent team. And, I mean, he still should have won that game as well. So, there's just not enough that can be said. He's exceeded every expectation. And he's just flat out been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL during his first seven games, which is just super impressive. But moving on to Offensive Player of the Year, obviously, except for Herbert, just because that's usually how these awards work, especially in the NFL. And Defensive Player of the Year, There's really only two options to me. I think it's Keenan Allen offensively. I think Austin Eckler would have something to say about that, John, um, had he been here. Uh, But I think it has to be Keenan Allen. And then Joey Bosa, even after missing the last game, has been the heart and soul of his defense. When he's not out there, they're a different defense. I honestly thought a lot of this game was pretty inspiring just because of the fact that Joey Bosa wasn't in there and they were still able to get some stops. But any argument out of those guys? No, I mean, I think even with Boston Eckler plays, I think Keenan Allen's still your offensive player of the year, and that's just... He very well could be, yeah. I think that's just because that's Herbert's go-to guy, and he's been your third-down conversion guy. He's been Herbert's touchdown guy when Herbert's out rolling out of the pocket and has to find a guy to throw to. It turns into Keenan Allen. I think Keenan Allen's been your clutch player for Herbert, really. I don't think Eckler was that when he was playing for the game. He was your playmaker. I don't think Eckler was being clutch and making all the big plays that you need to keep a drive alive or to keep the score close. And when it comes to Joey Bosa, he's the only guy tackling. Only guy tackling, only guy that's almost consistently in on the QB, and he's doing it with injuries? you kidding me? Kenneth Murray might have a case for Defensive Player of the Year, but he hasn't had close to the same impact as Bosa, and Bosa's doing it with having three injuries all at once. Kenneth Murray has a good impact, maybe the tackling and some of the run game, but even then, he's still making tackles six yards down the field, so I can't give it to Murray. Bosa is making quarterbacks throw the ball incomplete a lot of times, just to, and that gives us a chance to stay in the game. Yeah, it does, and I think for Kenneth Murray, I mean, he basically got benched this week. Anthony Lynn said it's because of communication problems and that Denzel Perryman had to go out there just to make sure everybody was lined up correctly. And I do think they might have put a little bit too much on his plate. And the only reason I say that is just because I haven't seen the speed translate yet. I haven't seen the just 
him flipping that switch consistently, getting downhill and being aggressive, even in the running game. Uh, I mean, I thought he's yeah, aggressive, tech, you know, taking on blocks and things like that. But I just don't think that it has fully clicked for him yet. The coverage obviously has been a weakness so far. And it's not a great scheme for him coverage-wise. He'd be better in man-to-man coverage, in my opinion. Uh, but I just think that it's just a little too fast for him at this point. And once he kind of gets a little bit more comfortable, I think that's when you'll see him you know, get more comfortable blitzing, have more of an effect that way, and start getting some of those tackles for loss and just meeting running backs in the hole and beating you know, offensive linemen to where they're going to go because that's something he used to do as well. But Joey Bosa is the only answer. But this is a hard one and kind of an easy one because I wanted to go coach of the year so far. And it's like you can't really give it to Anthony Lynn. Can't give it to Gus Bradley. God knows, I mean, you're not giving it to George Stewart. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. So, obviously, there, you know, there's other options that aren't just coordinators and head coaches. But, John, who would you go with with the coach of the year so far for the Chargers? Oh, that, that's tough. Uh, I kind of want to go Shane Steichen just because he's kept the offense scoring points every game and every game his offense has improved something that we've complained about at least improves every week whether it be changing a fourth one becoming more creative but at the same time pep hamilton had justin herbert ready to go on his first start and he has been performing great since it's really a toss-up between those two uh I probably have to go Shane Steichen just because that's a that accounts for multiple players, whereas Pep Hamilton accounts for one player. I'm going right. to go Shane Steichen. Yeah, I think Shane Steichen's the answer. I mean, I think James Campen, even with the offensive line being what it is, has actually done pretty well considering you know the lack of Trey Turner and Brian Bulaga in the lineup. Cole Toner is a guy that we wanted to see off of the field in preseason games, and he has come in and been one of their better linemen over the last two games. Um, I think we've seen improvements from Forrest Lamp. I think we've seen improvements from Sam Tevy. It hasn't been great, but I think he deserves at least a mention in the conversation. Uh, it's Shane Steichen for me. And even though the Chargers, when you look at him, you know they're only about 14th in the in the league for uh, as far as or 17th in the league in points scored per game so far this season. But I mean, I think that's really discounting what he's been able to do recently because when you look back at it, I mean, the Chargers' first three games were pretty rough for them offensively, and then things started clicking. So even though the Chargers are second in yards per game for the entire season, their points aren't there, but they have been getting there because over the last five games, the Chargers have averaged 30.6 points per game, which would put them at fourth place in the NFL if you're talking about what teams have averaged for the whole season. So it is getting better. It's getting more creative. That's really all you can ask for, I think, from an offensive coordinator. He's young. He's just implementing his offense this year. And, I mean, that's the one guy that scares me about losing on this coaching staff right now just because, I mean, they're putting up 30 points a game, 30.6 points per game over five games. That's a long span to be able to do that. So I'm impressed with Shane Steichen. I'm impressed with what he's been able to do with Justin Herbert. Pep Hamilton definitely deserves some credit there as well. And Justin Herbert just taking it upon himself from the time he got done with Oregon and the time he ended up getting drafted because – no matter what you want to talk about, you don't make all of this improvement in one reduced training camp. Justin Herbert, in between you know playing his last collegiate game and getting drafted, the Chargers put in a lot of work. So I do think he deserves a lot of credit there as well. But let's get into the Chargers' next four games because Anthony Lynn loves to break these things down in quarters. The Chargers are at 2-6 and six right now. When the next four games they have, John, are the Dolphins, 
Jets, Bills, and Patriots. So what I want to know from you, I don't want to get into every one of these games, but when the Chargers get done with this quarter, how many of these four games are they going to end up winning? Ooh, uh, maybe one. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say maybe one, and I'm going to say it's not the Jets. Oh, no. The don't Patriots. say that. <laughs> oh, no. It's probably the Patriots that's your one win, and that's because they have one effective play call, and that's quarterback sneak with Cam Newton. <laughs> They, I mean, they kind of scare me just because I believe Bill Belichick would run it 50 times against the Chargers if he can just get four yards per carry. Yeah, I would agree with that. But at the same time, all Cam Newton has to do is try to throw, and he might mess up. And if Cam Newton has the opportunity to run outside the tackles, he's got a chance to fumble. When Cam Newton has ran outside the tackle, he seems to fumble more. Yeah. That type of stuff makes me feel like we'd have a chance in that game, but... Playing in Miami, where we are horrible, and Tua looked really good against that Cardinals defense this week, and that whole Dolphins team really looks like it's a brand new team with him playing. Even though they didn't look good offensively against the Rams, the whole team looked really hyped up and rejuvenated with Tua at quarterback, which is weird to say because with Ryan Fitzpatrick they were winning, but with Tua it's like they're a whole new team, and then. I mean, and they were three and three, yeah, going into it. I mean, he took over a three and three team in that scenario. So, I mean, they were playing pretty good, but that defense is really winning them a lot of these games. I mean, that defense is legit. Yeah, and now we're you think of the situation that the Chargers have this year with defense playing bad, letting games get like out of their fingers when they have victory just right there, and they end up losing it, whether it's having a big lead or missing the game-winning play on the last play, whatever it is, I feel like it sets up for another migraine in Miami, basically. And then the Bills are just ridiculous. They just destroyed the Seahawks. Josh Allen is just having an amazing year. I don't think there's any way to match up well defensively against the Bills. Offensively, we probably could, but I just think defensively Josh Allen's going to have a field day. I think so, too. I think he causes a lot of problems. He's willing to push the ball deep, which is something that the Chargers say they don't give up, but they do. He's also willing to tuck it and run, and he's hard to tackle. Not a good, you know, not something that's good for the Chargers defense and what they like to do. Um, and, you know, they will out physical you as well. So that game scares me the most, obviously, out of these four games. It's going to be funny to see what the narratives are, you know, if the Dolphins beat the Chargers. I mean, PFF is already saying Tua, you know, Tua is the really good player after two games. Uh, just basically trying to dis- disparage Justin Herbert a little bit more and saying, you know, that the Dolphins made the right decision, but hey, they could also just be three really good quarterbacks in this draft class, and I was a Tua guy. I want to see Tua do well, but the Chargers obviously justified where they took Justin Herbert, and they justified waiting for Justin Herbert instead of trading up in front of Tua, so I'm interested to see what happens there. I think the Chargers go 2-2 two and two in this stretch. I think they have a chance against the Dolphins, uh, and I think they have a good chance against the Jets and the Patriots. Not as much against the Bills, but every year we're still waiting to see that game where they beat the team they're not supposed to. I think that will continue at some point this year. I think that could, you know, be either the Dolphins or the Bills. I was surprised to see some places the Chargers were only a one-point underdog or that the Chargers were a one-point favorite some places against the Raiders even last week. So some things are just super weird, but I do think the Chargers will win two of these next four games, even though they haven't given me much reason to believe in them. But that is going to wrap things up for today's show. We have a ton of voicemails from you guys 
from the last weekend's game. So we're going to be getting into that tomorrow. A lot of good topics to get into then. And then we'll have the crossover episode on Thursday. But until then, make sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC and to like the Facebook page Locked On Chargers, as well as subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts. You can get the Chargers po- Locked On Chargers podcast there, and it's the fastest and easiest way to do it. If you guys want to be the next voicemail call on the show, the number is 323-524-7924, and we try to get every Chargers voicemail played on the show. But we'll be back with you guys tomorrow. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.